Maranatha. If you would, please turn uh, with me to Mark 14 again. When I was very young, my mother talked about heaven with me. And she used an analogy that she had heard somewhere to, to help me understand what we were expecting in the life to come and, and how there is much more and much better awaiting for us. Uh, she said that a, a baby in the womb would think that life as it is is how it should be. Just think about that. It's nice and warm and comfortable and snug. Uh, baby doesn't want things to change. Uh, baby might even be scared of the thought of change in the current state of affairs. What might the other side be like? Uh, But there is so very much on the other side that is waiting for that baby. Uh, There are sights and smells and things to taste and all sorts of things to do that are waiting for that little boy. Uh, Yes, there will be a loss of comfort of the womb, Uh, But there will be so much more on the other side. Uh, If that baby only knew half of the good things that were out there, he would be eager to go. For the Christian, we find some parallels to that in our current life. Uh, There are lots of reasons that we might want to stay here in this world as things are. You know, we're probably not eager to walk through the veil that separates this life From the next, and that's understandable. Uh, There might be all sorts of reasons we might want to be here. We might think that it's better for us to be here than than there. This morning, as we wrap up our series on the Lord's Supper in Mark 14, uh, we're going to let the text point us forward to what lay ahead. Uh, We will follow the finger of Jesus as he points us onward. Uh, through communion here. We'll consider communion in light of Christ's return. And we're going to see that the communion we experience today will give way to an even greater communion tomorrow. Let's read our text again uh, for the last time in this series in Mark 14, verses 22 to 25. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have not left us in our sin but you have sent your Son for us. And thank you, Lord, that you have not left us as orphans in this world, but you have sent your Spirit to dwell in us, that by him you would dwell in us, and your Son would dwell in us, Lord. Thank you for so many graces you give us as we walk this world and this day. We pray that you would help our hearts to be eager for all the glories that await us beyond it. In Jesus' name, amen. In our text today, we're going to look especially at verse 24, the last verse in our text here. Uh, 
here Jesus continues to talk about the cup. We saw last week that Jesus taught about the meaning of the cup, what the cup pointed to. The cup of wine there was a pointer to the blood of Christ and how his blood was the blood of the covenant. The new covenant was going to be initiated in the blood of Jesus. His death would put into effect his last will and testament, which is the new covenant. That's the meaning of the cup. We drink it and remember what Christ has done for us in shedding his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. We saw that last week. Uh, In verse 24, Jesus is no longer talking about the meaning of the cup, what it points to in that sense, uh, but he is showing us how the cup points us forward. He's using the cup to help our hearts long for something still future. I'll read that verse again, verse 25. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This meal that Jesus has with his disciples is certainly not the first time that he's eaten with them. We know of several meals that are recorded in scripture that Jesus has with his disciples and has with other people. Sometimes there are miraculous meals. Jesus feeds the 5,000 in the wilderness, and his disciples are with him. Or he feeds the 4,000 in the wilderness. His disciples are there with him. We see elsewhere, in places like Luke 5.30, that Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners. And we can assume his disciples are there because they're always with him. Uh, This may seem like a mundane fact, but Jesus ate and drank like the rest of us. Uh, He truly was a man. He didn't just appear to be a human. He was a human. He, he was God in the flesh. And he had many meals with his disciples. But this meal in John 14 is a unique meal. This is his last meal with his disciples before his crucifixion. It's the last supper, as we call it. Now, we know that he's going to eat again with them when he rises from the dead. In John's gospel, we see that Jesus eats fish with them. Uh, to prove that he is in fact risen, he's not just a spirit. Uh, But there's something that he won't do again until a future time. He says here that he won't drink of the fruit of the vine until he drinks it new in the kingdom of God. This is the last time that he will drink this wine until some future point. Now, what does Jesus mean here by this reference to the kingdom of God? If he's not going to drink of the fruit of the vine until he drinks it new in the kingdom of God, what is that kingdom? When is it? Uh, Is it the millennium? Is Jesus referring perhaps to our future eternal state with him? Well, I think at the very least we know it's future from our text here. Uh, I think if we turn to 1 Corinthians 11, we can get a little more clarity on it. You can turn there with me if you'd like. I'll read a few verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We've already been here in this series. This is the section of 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul is talking about communion and the church in Corinth holding communion. I want to read just verses 23 down to 26 in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul says to the Corinthian Christians, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks he broke it. And then said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in 
remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread, excuse me, eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we eat and drink in communion, we do that in remembrance of the Lord, Paul says here. Uh, and in doing that, we, we think back, we, we look backwards to what he has done for us. Uh, we remember his body broken for us. We remember his blood spilled for us. And when we take communion together, we're actually also proclaiming those realities. In our minds and in our hearts, we're looking backwards, but we're also speaking it forth. Uh, communion is something of a drama in which we enact our eating and drinking of Christ. We're, we're portraying a picture of what Christ has given and the fact that we have taken part in that. So in communion, we look backwards, but we also look forwards. Paul says here that it is done until he comes. The return of Christ will be that key transitional moment when communion will be changed. Now, we're certainly always going to remember what the Lord has done for us. That won't change. Uh, for all eternity, we will remember what Christ has done for us. For all of eternity, we won't forget the reason that we're even in heaven in the first place, that we're with Christ forever. We won't forget that. That doesn't change. But this meal of remembrance will be different after Christ returns. In fact, a lot of things are going to be different after Christ returns. A day is coming in which some group of Christians, somewhere on this planet, gathering together, will celebrate the last communion meal together. There is coming a day in which that last communion meal will be taken, and then the Lord will return. That is when this communion meal, as we take it now, will end. Perhaps the time that Jesus will take that cup up again that he describes in Mark 14, perhaps that time is in John 19. I tend to think that. Uh, in Revelation, I said John, I meant Revelation 19, verses 6 to 9, John describes the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, Revelation 19, 6 says, when, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. These words here in John 19 come right before the Lord Jesus Christ returns to bring judgment on a rebellious world. This marriage supper of the Lamb seems to me the most likely time that Jesus takes this cup up again. In our passage in Mark chapter 14, Jesus sets the cup down and he tells his disciples that he won't be taking it up again for quite some time. At that moment, he is preparing to depart from his disciples. Very soon, in our passage here in, in John 14, I know we've been taking a lot of time here and it can slow the story down for us, but really the Gospel of Mark is just about done. The events that are 
coming are going to come swiftly. This is the night before Jesus is crucified. And Jesus is teaching. In John's Gospel, we get a lot more that Jesus says in this time. Uh, But here in this moment, Jesus is preparing his disciples to be without him. At least as he is right now. He is preparing their hearts for that. Very soon he's going to be going back to his father. Back to where he came from. And there will be sorrow for his disciples in that. Uh, When people asked Jesus why his disciples didn't fast. They said, you know, well, the, the disciples of John, they fast. They're good religious observance there. Uh, the, the disciples of the Pharisees, they fast. Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? Jesus' response to them in Mark chapter 2, verses 19 to 20, says, And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. There will be fasting and mourning when the bridegroom is taken away, is ripped away from the disciples. When the Lord Jesus Christ is crucified, then his disciples will weep and mourn. Mention John's Gospel. Scott read from some of this section in chapter 14, but let's turn to chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 22. I want to read a few verses from that. In John 16, verse 16, Jesus tells the disciples, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he has said to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I mean by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby... She no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been brought, born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Here we see that the world's going to rejoice. From Jesus, his teaching in Mark 14, very soon the world will be rejoicing over the dead body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his disciples will grieve. But there is coming a day in which he will see them again and their hearts will rejoice and no one will be able to steal that joy. And do they ever rejoice? Yes, they do grieve when the Lord is crucified, but they rejoice when he rises again. What joy must have filled their hearts? Uh, Then, in that rejoicing, Jesus leaves again. He ascends Back to the Father's right hand, and he's gone again. But then, 
as Jesus promised, he sends the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus comes back to dwell within his disciples. He fills them by the Holy Spirit, and they have joy in the Holy Spirit. In fact, joy is the second virtue listed in Galatians 5 uh, in, when Paul is describing the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And yet, there's still a greater joy that's coming for us. You know, we live in that place with the first disciples. The Lord has ascended, the Spirit has been sent, and we are there with them waiting for the Lord's return. We are waiting for a day when we will see Christ face to face. Now, we have true fellowship with the Lord today. We have true communion with him. But it's not the fullest experience that we're going to know. There is more ahead of us. There is joy in knowing the Lord now, and there is so much greater joy coming. Listen to the kind of expectation that Paul has uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 to 12. Paul says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part... And we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Today we see... In a mirror dimly. We have real vision of the Lord by faith, but it's partial. Now, you've probably had the experience of driving in the evening and driving right through a swarm of bugs. You know the experience. You're driving and you think that perhaps it's raining, but as it turns out, you're smashing about 5,000 bugs on your windshield. You use your wipers, and it just smears it all over the place. I think the only thing that repels water better than oil is bug guts. Uh, You cannot get that stuff off. Somehow, you still have to drive home safely. Uh, You're going to have to squint hard to see through your windshield to make it home. I think that is something like what we experience today as we're on our way home to be with the Lord. We do see the Lord. We do have fellowship with him. We do experience his love for us. But that experience is smudged and smirched. It's greased down like your bug-covered windshield. Sometimes we feel like we have to squint to see the Lord. The pain of living in this broken world can weigh us down so that we begin to even question whether the Lord loves us. Uh, We have those days and those moments where we don't feel as close to the Lord as we would like to, or even as close as we think we should. Uh, We struggle to see God by faith, and we're left wondering where he is in our daily struggles. At other times, our own sin can reduce our visibility down to almost nothing. Now, theologians like to use fancy words. Have you ever heard of the term, the noetic effects of the fall? It's a weird term. Uh, It's not referring to Noah and the ark. Uh, Instead, 
the noetic effects of the fall, refer to how sin has warped our thinking. Uh, noetic comes from the Greek word for nous, which is the, the, the word for mind. It talks about how sin affects our minds. Uh, sin doesn't only affect what people do. Sin affects what people want. It affects how people feel. And it even affects how we think. As believers, we are in a constant process of renewal, the renewal of our minds through the Word, by the Holy Spirit. Our old ways of thinking are being cleared up. Some of those bugs are getting scraped off of the windshield of our hearts, and it can be painful at times. But the Lord is giving us a better and better vision of himself. I want to encourage you all to embrace the work of the Lord in your lives. Your vision in this life will be partial, but it's worth seeking a clearer vision of the Lord. And it's, in, it's worth embracing the work of the Lord, even when it's painful. And one day, we have the hope that we will see him face to face. Today we know in part, but then we will know fully, even as God has fully known us and even known us from all eternity. The best of all of our joys in the Lord today are only partial. We can hope in and expect that the highest joy that we experience in this life will be far surpassed by the joy in the Lord that we will have on that day. We have fellowship in the Lord today, but it's going to be far exceeded when he returns. Now, that is the kind of expectation that we ought to bring to the communion table. When we come to communion together, that is the expectation we should bring. We take this meal as a remembrance and a proclamation until he comes. The Lord Jesus is abstaining from the cup until he drinks it new in the kingdom of God. But today we take the bread and we take the cup as we eagerly wait for the day when the bridegroom will come for us. Brothers and sisters, there are joys for us in the Lord that are yet coming. There is joy and pleasure in the Lord that is going to far exceed our best experience here. Sometimes we can be afraid about the things that we leave behind in this world. But there is nothing that we leave behind here that will not be exceeded in that life. There is great joy in the Lord that is coming for us. The psalmist says in Psalm 30, verse 5, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. We await a never-ending joy. A joy that will not be interrupted by the kinds of things we experience in this life. There are hardships and pains here today, but an undiluted joy is on its way. Now, it is so good to take communion together. And yet, the communion that we take someday is going to give way to a far greater communion. So let's take communion today in anticipation of the, the far greater communion that's coming. And to that end, I'll invite the men to prepare for communion and Elsa to come to play, and we'll go to prayer together.